Well, happy Mother's Day, mothers. That's it? All right. Well, we've got that out of the way. <laughs> hey, we've been doing some classes called the Worldview, Christian Worldview or Biblical Worldview. And uh, we originally scheduled it for four weeks, but last week uh, somebody in the class said, can we go for five? So I said, well, it depends on what everybody else says. So we had a unanimous agreement. I think we had almost 100 people in our class on Wednesday night that said, yes, let's do an extra, an extra night. So we're going to go for five Wednesdays. If you haven't uh, come to the class yet, you're welcome. And just some of the things we'll be discussing, we'll be talking about the War of the Worlds, uh, and uh, Tom Cruise is not in this. Um, we'll be talking about uh, evolution or creation, or both. We're going to talk about that. Sexuality and gender, heaven and hell, the authority of God, parents, church, and government. We'll be talking about the secret code in scriptures. And I say secret again because it's not that secret. It's in plain sight, but most people don't understand it. We'll be talking about science and the Bible. You know, a lot of people think that science and the Bible are not compatible. And then finally, we'll be talking about the life-saving importance of church attendance. And uh, so if you can make it to the class, it's Wednesday night at 6.30. You can uh, get, easily get caught up. We can give you notes from uh, past classes. That would be great. Hey, last week we had a really fantastic celebration. We celebrated uh, our volunteers, and we had a Mexican afternoon. It was really fantastic. And uh, some of you will, will know because you were here for this sermon series called Resurrection, and we looked, at, um, we looked at how temporal life is, that life, uh, life is just very temporary, and the fact that because of the resurrection, we are, in fact, eternal beings, that we will live forever. And I was talking about how we're so distracted by, by things that don't really matter, like selfies, for instance. And I showed you last week, I showed you a selfie done by, by David Carroll, a very, uh, very intense and serious man. And, then we sh and, and I'm going to show you one of, of, of Denny and Janet. <laughs> so make sure you, you congratulate them and Dave Carroll on, on, uh, on their seriousness. Um, we today are talking about mothers. And... Uh, I, I just thought maybe I'd give you a, a bit of a chuckle here. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I was going to serve you breakfast in bed, but I ate it. Uh, this, is, this is for the moms. If you're not a mom, you don't really get this. Uh, and here's a cute one I thought was good. Uh, you mean to tell me your real name isn't Mom? <laughs> yeah, so there it is. So happy Mother's Day. We love you so much. What I want to do today is uh, I want to talk to you about... Uh, one of my heroes uh, in the New Testament. And her name is Salome. She was the mother of James and John, and uh, also called the Sons of Thunder. And she was a truly amazing woman. Now, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, he told his disciples that he was going to be crucified. He was going to be put to death, buried, and resurrected. They had no idea what he's talking about. Uh, in their mind, he was, he was simply being uh, confusing again. Uh, you know how Jesus loved to speak in, in mysteries and riddles and in parables that they didn't always understand. So when Jesus is talking about going to Jerusalem and dying, they thought, well, what, what does that mean? But they were convinced, whatever that meant, they were convinced that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, 
and that he was going to establish his earthly kingdom. He was going to kick the Romans out and that he would become the king of Israel. He would reign and rule. And the disciples were quite convinced that they would be part of that rulership or that rulership experience. So uh, here's, here's Jesus leading his followers, and they really don't understand what's going on. Now, I want you to take note of that. It's really important to understand this uh, for the rest of the message. They didn't understand what was going on. And by the way, so often in our Christian life, we really don't know what's going on. We don't know God's final plans. We know some of them, uh, many of them. We don't know the outcome. We know his will right here and right now, but we don't really know how it's going to turn out. And if we were going to use our natural minds to try to determine what God would do, then oftentimes we're going to be disappointed, as the disciples were initially. They were very disappointed, especially when they saw Jesus go to the cross. This was, this was not according to plan. Jesus, what are you doing? You're, this is, it shouldn't be. This shouldn't be happening. After all the miracles you did, Jesus, what are you doing going to the cross? Now, just keep that in mind. Don't forget that. Salome loves her sons, and I'm guessing there's a good chance that she might have been the one that influenced her sons to follow Jesus in the first place. So we, we find Jesus on the way to, uh, to Jerusalem, to his crucifixion, and on the way, something interesting happens. The mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, Jesus asked. And she replied, in your kingdom, please let my sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now this, is like, this would be like a typical kind of question that an ambitious Jewish mother would have for her sons. When, when Jesus sets up his kingdom, I want my sons to rule with him. I want everybody in the world to know that just under Jesus, is James and John the fruit of my womb? Remember that. She's very ambitious for her son. She wants them to succeed. She wants them to do well. But Jesus says, in response to this request, he didn't say, no, don't be ridiculous. How could you ask such a thing? Who do you think you are? He didn't say that. He simply says this. You don't really know what you're asking. You have no clue. Are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering that I'm going to take? And without thinking, these impetuous men say, of course we can. We can, we can take whatever you can take. We're able. And Jesus doesn't say, no, you fools. He didn't say that. He just simply says, well, <laughs> you will indeed drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm taking. But the fact of the matter is, I have no right to determine who sits on my left or on my right. That's determined by my Father in heaven. And then he changes the subject, and he says this. He says, you see how the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the Sadducees and the scholars and the teachers of the law and the scribes and the rabbis, do you see how they take positions of, of honor and they want to be served? Do you see that, Jesus says? He says, here's what my kingdom is about. My kingdom is about serving. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They still don't get it. Still don't have a clue. This is 
for many of us, <laughs> it sums up our life. There's so many things that we don't understand about, about God and the way he does things. And most of the time, it's because we're thinking and we're operating from a natural perspective. The Bible is clear that the natural mind cannot receive spiritual truth. And this is absolutely the situation here. But don't despair, because they will understand. They will begin to understand what it's really all about. I want us to look at Salome and the influence that she has on her sons, the influence for not just for good, but, but for eternity. And, and I want to say this to you. As mothers and as Christians, our job is to follow the example of Salome, influencing others. Remember, Jesus tells his disciples, look at the, the religious leaders around you. They all want to be served. But here's what real leadership is. Real leadership is influence. In fact, I learned very, in, very early in my ministry that uh, an excellent one-word definition for leadership is the word influence. Because if you're influencing somebody, then you are leading them. And that's what Salome was. She was an influencer. She was a leader. She was leading her sons. And lo and behold, they were listening to her. Here's what she wanted for her son. She wanted her sons to follow Jesus because she knew, she recognized that Jesus was not just any old teacher. And as time went by, uh, what she said about Jesus was, was substantiated by, by amazing proofs. Jesus walked on the water. Jesus fed the multitudes, 5,000, 4,000. Jesus uh, healed the sick. He raised the dead. And even more than that, lives are being transformed. Zacchaeus, the filthy, filthy tax collector, that's, that's how they saw tax collectors. Kind of like the same today. <laughs> the filthy tax collectors. He was converted. And how do we know he was converted? Because not only did he follow Jesus, but he said, if I've cheated anybody, I am going to give back to them, not just what, I what I've stolen from them, but, but many times over. And Jesus says this, so surely salvation has come to this household. It's miraculous. But it gets even better. When Jesus stands up to preach and to teach, everybody is absolutely amazed at what he's saying. In fact, here's what they said. They said, when he teaches, it's not like the, it's not like the rabbis and the teachers of the law. When he teaches, he teaches with what? Authority. In other words, he's preaching the very word of God. He's speaking Prophetically, Our hearts are being pierced by this word of God. And Salome is saying, my sons, follow him, listen to him, do whatever he says. Mothers, this is your job, is to point your children to Jesus. And I would suggest to you that it is your main priority. In fact, it's, it's the first thing at the top of your list when you look at your responsibilities, if we were to put together a job description for mothers today, at the top of the list, it's to influence your children for Christ. Now, influence, the word influence simply means the capacity to have an effect on the character and the development or the behavior of someone. How important is a mother? Billy Graham says this, the influence of a mother upon the lives of her children cannot be measured. 
They know and absorb her example and her attitudes when it comes to questions of honesty, abstinence, kindness, and hard work. Some examples, for instance, some of you have heard the name George Washington. He is the first president of the United States. He was a humble, godly man who did not want the position, but everybody who knew him understood him as a humble, godly man, and they said, George, you have to do it. You're the only one. You're the one that's got to do this. Here's what we discover about George Washington, is that he had a very godly, pious mother that influenced him to be the man that he was. And then we look at someone like uh, Sir Walter Scott. Some of you may be familiar with some of his novels, amazing, inspiring novels that speak of integrity and honesty and, uh, and, and of excellent character. I've, it's one of those, I'm not a great fiction reader, but, but there's a few works of fiction that I love, and it's anything that inspires me to be a better man. Well, turns out that Sir Walter Scott's mother was, again, a, a pious, godly woman, loved poetry, loved music, and inspired her son, or influenced her son, to be a great man and to be a great writer. That's what mothers do. That's what good godly mothers do. They point their children to Jesus so that their children can be the best that they can be. On the other hand, you get someone uh, like the depraved and evil Lord Byron. Some of you have heard of Lord Byron and you've heard of his poems. And maybe, maybe you can even quote some of them. But what you may not know about Lord Byron is that this man is a depraved, very depraved man. Um, I, I can't use enough adjectives to describe just how evil his character was. Turns out, his mother was a very violent woman. Uh, she was a woman who was very proud, a woman who did not influence her son for good. Um, I could tell you about Nero. Anybody hear of Nero? The, the great crucifier of Christians, the, the murderer? Well, you guessed it. His mother was also a murderer. Murder was a family business. It's what they did. It's how they functioned. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. Because what we all need to understand is that mothers matter. Fathers matter. In fact, every Christian here today matters. Because you have the ability and the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in people's lives. Your job is to influence people for Christ and to Christ. This is, your, this is your job, it's my job, to influence people to Christ. And so here's, uh, here's James and John's mother trying to take it up to the next level. She not only wants to influence her sons to follow Jesus, now she wants Jesus to include them as, as uh, co-governors of the world. Hey, Salome recognizes Jesus is not just a great teacher. He's not just a great rabbi and not just somebody who was able to do the odd miracle. She recognized that Jesus had the power to transform this world and, and, and more precisely, had the power to transform her son's lives. So let's take a look at that for a moment. Let's, let's look at the sons, the sons of thunder. James and John... Uh, you may know it, uh, or not know it, I don't know. But they were among Jesus' inner circle. Jesus had 12 disciples, but James and John, along with Peter, they, they made up the inner circle. So they were very close to Jesus. They loved Jesus. And 
they really took to heart the instruction and the influence of their mother, and it, it wasn't long before we find John referring to himself as the beloved disciple, the one that was loved by Jesus the most. That's, at least that's what he said. I'm, I, I'm sure that some of the other disciples would have begged to differ with him on that, but, but that's how he felt about Christ. He loved Jesus with all his heart. Um, we find that Jesus, uh, Jesus loved these sons uh, of Zebedee, and he was the one that gave the sons of Zebedee the nickname, Sons of Thunder. And, and here's what happened. Because these disciples loved him so much, Jesus says, look, we're on our way to Jerusalem. We need to stop in Samaria. I want you guys to go ahead. And when you get there, uh, just make sure that we have everything we need to do our ministry there and to have, have uh, food to eat, and so on and so forth. But when, when the disciples get there, uh, the people of Samaria say, not only uh, are we not interested in Jesus, we don't want you here. In fact, we want you to go in the other direction. We want nothing to do with you Jews. Uh, we're Samaritans, and we, we have our principles. Now, the sons of Zebedee were so angry, when they got back to Jesus, they said to Jesus, should we call fire out of heaven to destroy these people? And I'm sure that Jesus must have, first of all, been a little bit shocked. <laughs> Let's kill them all. Anybody that disagrees with us, kill them. Uh, and so Jesus nicknames, nicknames them the sons of thunder. And of course, by the way, Jesus doesn't destroy anybody, just, just to set your minds at ease. But these sons of thunder love Jesus so much that they're even ready to wipe out uh, the Samaritans. Why is this significant? Well, Unfortunately, the Sons of Thunder's love for Jesus was limited. Unlike Salome, it comes time for Jesus now to face the cross, and you know the story. The soldiers come with the high priest and or the high priest's uh, servant, and immediately Peter, feeling threatened and also wanting to protect Jesus, says, "Peter with the sword and." James and John, the sons of thunder, these three violent guys uh, in Jesus' inner circle, go figure. Peter pulls out a sword, he hacks off the ear of the, the high priest's servant. Jesus picks up the ear and heals, heals the man's ear. And you'd think that the crowd of soldiers would say, wow, this is a miracle, this is amazing, uh, we're doing the wrong thing. But they didn't. And you would think, you'd think, that after all that they'd experienced in three years of walking with Jesus, you would think that these disciples would, would surround Jesus and protect him, right? And you'd be wrong. That's not what happened. In fact, what happened is they, they ended up all running away, scattering, afraid for their lives. Except Salome. And the Bible tells us that Salome, rather than running away and rather than betraying Jesus and rather than saying, I have no idea who this man is, Salome sticks with him. In fact, we find Salome at the foot of the cross when Jesus is breathing his last breath. Where are her sons? Where are my, where are my sons? The ones that I wanted to sit on the left and on the right, where did they go? And here's the mother, refusing to give in to fear, refusing to give in to the temptation to despair. Did you hear that? The temptation to despair, the temptation to give up, the temptation to quit? 
not Salome. When Jesus was put in the grave, it was Salome who was there. She didn't understand what was going on. Remember I said that right at the beginning of my message. I said, it's really important to understand that we don't always understand God's ways. We don't know why, he, why things are the way they are. But understand this, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the director of this universe, God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. You may not know what you're doing, and you may not know what he's doing, but he knows what he's doing. And so Salome, I don't get this. I don't understand why this is happening. She's there. She's there thinking, well, I put my faith in this man. The least I can do is be there to give him the the death dressings and all the the herbs and spices to, to embalm him. She's not leaving Jesus' side. Even though there are soldiers there, Roman soldiers guarding the tomb, this little, brave little woman is ready to stand up even against Rome for Jesus. And because of that, she was one of the first to see Jesus rise from the dead. She was one of the first to greet the risen Savior because of her unwillingness to give up on Jesus. Now, mothers, listen to me. Listen, let the Spirit of God speak to you now because you may feel tempted to give up. You may feel, oh, I prayed for so long for my sons, my daughters. I prayed so long for my my grandchildren. Is anything going to come out of this? Am I wasting my time? You're going to be tempted to give up. But Salome would say to you and to me today, don't do it. Don't give up. Salome said, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But she said, I'm not giving up. That was the example that this mother set for her sons. I want to read to you from Galatians chapter 6, just the first nine verses. Listen to this. Dear brothers and sisters, Paul is talking to the Galatians about not giving up. Dear brothers and sisters, If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the path. That's what parents do. They don't give up on their kids. That's what mothers do. They keep believing. And they see their son, their daughter, in the morass of sin. And they don't give up. And they say, my son, my daughter, God still loves you. I'm not giving up on you. But Paul warns, he says, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. What temptation is that? Well, why do we get into trouble in the first place? Because we don't trust God. Because we think, I've got to do it my own way. I've got to take matters into my own hands. I can't trust God. This is why our children turn away from God, because they think that maybe they know better very easy to fall into that temptation in fact some of us are struggling with that right now today you've taken matters into your own hands and the spirit of god is here now telling you it's time to stop living that way turn back to jesus paul says this in verse two share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of christ what is the what is the law of christ love one another 
Don't give up on your kids. You're so mad at them. You're so disgusted by their behavior. You're so annoyed by their bad behavior and their bad attitude. And Paul says, hold on a minute here. Keep exercising the law of Christ. Keep loving them. Keep caring about them. Keep praying for them. Don't give up. And by the way, this message is not just for mothers. It's for all of us as believers. Don't give up. I remember praying for my grandmother. Prayed my whole life for her. And prayed and prayed and prayed, God, don't, don't let her die without you. God, keep your hand upon her. Keep working on her, Jesus. And she would mock my faith. She would make fun of me. She would laugh. She said, oh, you Pentecostals, you're even in the toilet. With, you've got your hands in the air praising God. It's like just, just mocking it, you know. But on her deathbed, I, said, I asked her, this, is, this could be a grandma. You, you don't know if you've got even another hour to go. Will you surrender to Jesus? I said, if you, she couldn't even talk, but she could squeeze my hand. I said, if you, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, squeeze my hand. And then I felt, it felt like an eternity. My heart's beating, beating. All of a sudden, I feel her squeeze my hand. Yes, I will surrender. I learned a lesson that day, the lesson of perseverance, of praying and not giving up. Who have you given up on? God would tell us today that you got to keep praying and you got to keep giving up. I'm not giving up. You got to keep on believing. Keep believing, keep believing, keep believing. Let me just finish reading this. Paul says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Hey, mothers, if you're comparing your family to somebody else's family, your kids to somebody else's kids, stop doing that. That's not the standard. How other people live their life and what other kids do and how much education they get or how, what their IQ is or how smart they are, or how talented they are. Stop doing that. Stop putting that burden on yourself and stop putting that burden on your kids. Point them to Jesus. You know what the Bible says? That when the disciples found out that Salome went to Jesus and asked if James and John could sit from on one side and on the other, the Bible says that they were indignant. You know what that means? They were bitter and angry. They were furious. How dare they think that they should take a position above us? But if it was the other way around, they'd be fine with it. Paul says, don't fall into that trap. Don't compare yourself. Work hard on being the best mother you can. And how do you know you're being the best mother you can? That you are influencing your children to love Jesus and to follow him. And some of you right now, you're so annoyed with your family. Can I ask you in Jesus' name to let that go and start loving them? And there's, uh, I'm gonna tell you that then you're gonna start seeing miracles take place in your life. Because wherever the law of Christ is at work, there are miracles. What is the law of Christ? Love. Love them. Oh, Paul goes on to say this. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And then he says this. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. 
because at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Here's what I know. In, in verse 8 there, just talk, let me just read that again to you, verse 8. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. You know what's very shocking to me, especially in this day and age? In fact, there's, there's reality shows, reality TV shows on the subject, and you've got... The mothers who are helping their kids become dancers, and mothers who are helping their kids become actors, and mothers who are helping their kids win the, 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 the toddler pageants, beauty pageants. You've got mothers who, who are convinced that their son, their daughter, is the next Canadian idol, the next American idol. We want so desperately for our kids to succeed, to be successful, to be rich, to be famous, to be discovered so that they can make millions. Has anybody ever heard of... Justin Bieber. I just lost everybody. <laughs> My favorite singer. No. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Let's not be hard on him, and I'll tell you why. Because he grew up in a Christian home. And when he was discovered, his mother rejoicing, praising God, this is wonderful. It was the worst thing that could ever happen to him. Because now he is trapped He's trapped by Satan's deceit. Do we judge him and condemn him? Absolutely not. We pray for him. But you see, this is what happens when we, when we sow to the sinful nature. Every human here wants to be rich, wants to be famous, and wants, as Rectavia in Filler on the Roof says, God, uh, why don't you try making me rich? Just see what happens. <laughs> Let's give it a try, God. It's the worst thing that could happen. But Paul teaches us another way. So let's not get tired of doing what is good, because at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Has anybody ever heard of the Tiger Moms? The Tiger Moms, that's a book written by Amy Chu. And uh, she says, her children are never allowed to attend a sleepover, never allowed a play date, never allowed to watch TV or choose their own extracurricular activities. They're expected to be the top in every subject except gym and drama, which I thought was funny, and never get anything other than A grades. Because, as Chu explains, Chinese parents believe it is their responsibility to ensure their children's academic achievement above everything else. As good as that may sound to some of you parents, and as evil as it may sound to other parents, I'm going to tell you that the tiger mom is wrong. Because the most important thing you're going to do is not to ensure that your kids get the top grades, although you are going to try to do that. The most important thing in your child's life is that they are taught to follow Jesus and that you give your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul to this important work. This is your work, and that's what we just read in that passage of Scripture in Galatians. It's your job to point your kids to Christ. There's one mother that confided uh, in Gloria and myself uh, not that long ago that the biggest mistake she ever made was taking her son out of Sunday school and out of church activity and putting him into hockey. And today, this kid struggles with every addiction and has been in every, every addiction deliverance center in this, in this city. I know this is hard stuff to hear, but I'm going to tell you your job, first and foremost, 
is to teach your kids to follow Jesus and not get tired of doing what is good. Because, Paul says, if you don't get tired of doing what is good at just the right time, we're going to reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If we don't give up. Now, this word tired, I just want to quickly tell you about that, that word tired. It's a very interesting Greek word. It's the only time this word appears in the New Testament, a kekomen. And it's a really hard word to translate. If I was going to translate it, here's how it would sound. And it won't make sense to your ear, but let me just say it. We may be, be out eviling. That doesn't make sense to you. Here's how we would translate that into English. That word, ekekomen, has an article, me, which means don't or not. He's saying, Paul's saying this. He says, don't let evil take over. Don't let evil win the day. Don't let evil rob you of what you know is good. And the way that that's going to happen is by being very careful not to get tired, not to be despondent, not to give up. Some of you parents, I'm telling you, you're exhausted, you're at your wit's end, and you don't know if you can make it another day, but I'm going to tell you, in Jesus' name, you can make it another day. In Jesus' name, you are more than conquerors through Christ who loves you. In Jesus' name, you are victorious through Christ. This is the message of Christ to every believer, and it's a message that you and I need to take to heart if we're going to have a harvest of blessing in our lives. I know every single person here today says, yes, I want a harvest of blessing in my life. Well, the only way you're going to have that is if you do not get tired, if you don't grow despondent, and by the way, how are you going to do that? Well, here's what Salome would do. She would say, run to Jesus. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Make sure that your heart is one with Christ. <sighs> what really matters? Follow Jesus, no matter what the cost. So here's, here's, here's what I want to close with. So James and John, the sons of the wonderful Salome, because they did what their mother said, here's what happened. John ended up uh, doing hard labor, slave labor in the mines of Patmos, lived to an old age, worn out, exhausted. James tells us in Acts chapter 12 that he was beheaded. Thanks, Mom. Let me ask you this. Do you think James and John regretted their decision to follow Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? Absolutely not, because here's why. Because they know that this world is not my home. This, I'm a foreigner here. That's what it says in Hebrews 11. I'm an alien. This world's not my home. I'm here for a short time, and it's a very short time compared to eternity. And I'm going to tell you, what you do here in this earth, in this world, is what counts for eternity. James and John were willing to do whatever it takes to obey Christ and to do his will. And Salome, the best mother ever, she gave her sons what they needed, and that was the gift of eternal life through Christ. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we want to say thank you right now for godly mothers. Thank you for Salome. She insisted that her sons follow you, obey you, and not give up. And we see it, Lord, in her example. 
When everybody else had given up because Jesus died on the cross, she would not give up. She was there waiting, believing, trusting. Father, we pray that you would give us that kind of trust, that kind of faith, that kind of belief, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. God, help us not to give up on our kids. Help us not to give up on our aunts and our uncles, our brothers, sisters, our mothers and fathers, our workmates. Help us, Lord, to continue to be like Salome, who was a wonderful influence, influencing people to surrender to Jesus. So God, we commit ourselves to you on this Mother's Day, thanking you for our mothers and thanking you for the clear instruction and guidance from Scripture on how to live. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside